The Teachers College at Emporia State University presents How We Teach This. In today's episode of How We Teach This, we bring to you the inductees into the class of 2020 for the National Teachers Hall of Fame. These teachers are being recognized as outstanding among their peers, and we are looking forward to hearing their advice and information as they answer some questions about their teaching philosophy and their recommendations on strategies. I think you'll find the theme of connection and relationships with students to be important as this comes up over and over again. I hope you enjoy the interview. Welcome to How We Teach This. Today's podcast episode interviews the class of 2020 from the National Teachers Hall of Fame. Would you please introduce yourself and tell us your educational background? What grade level have you taught? Um, What subjects are your areas of expertise? Uh, My name is Melissa Collins. I'm from Memphis, Tennessee. I teach second grade at John P. Freeman Optional School. I teach everything. I'm a self-contained classroom, but I'm passionate about teaching STEM, streams, STEAM, whatever you want to call it. (laughs) I love it. My name is Andrew Bider. I teach eighth grade American history uh, outside of Buffalo, New York at a wonderful place called Springville Middle School. And that course is from the Civil War to the present. And uh, I try to uh, engage my students and, and, you know, make them civically engaged and empower them to take action in their communities. And I'm also the executive director of the Academy for Human Rights, which is an educational nonprofit that trains teachers and students about the most pressing issues of our time. My name is Jamil Siddiqui. I teach AP Calculus at East Bridgewater High School in East Bridgewater, Massachusetts. Uh, my passion is trying to help kids to believe that they can overcome any obstacles that they may face. Hi, I'm Tom Nab. I'm from uh, East Amherst, New York. I teach at Dodge Elementary School, visual arts to K to fourth grade students. And uh, I hope to show students, even at that young age, that they have a voice and uh, understand how artists work. Hi there, I'm Donna Grottle from Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. I taught at Broken Arrow High School and had a career teaching science for 34 years in the public schools. I retired two years ago, and I'm now an administrator. My official title is Dean of Academics and Innovation at a private school in Broken Arrow. Would you please share a story about a student who inspired you to be a better teacher? Well, I'll jump in. This is Jamil again from East Bridgewater. Um, my second year teaching, uh, I had a student who I actually met because, come <laughs> come look, they were my best friend's babysitter, okay? And they're my best friend's kids. And I went over to the house one day and just happened to ask, what math class are you in? And we found out through the course of our conversation that she was not on track to get to my, my calculus level course and didn't think much of it. But I proceeded to quiz uh, my friend's daughter, who's fourth grade in math, and she watched us doing math problems together. The next day in school, she came up to me, the babysitter came up to me, her name was Katie, and Katie said to me, I'd like to take your class next year, even though I'm not on track for it. Is there a way we can make that happen? And I said, well, yeah, let's find out. So Katie went to administration to advocate for herself to say, I want to take the higher level math class next year, even though I'm not in line to do that. And there was a little bit of resistance, but some back and forth happened. and. Sure enough, fall started and Katie was in my class. 
And throughout the year, she had some obvious gaps. She'd skip the class, but she was so determined. She was so determined. She would go and she was on the cross country team. She would go run after cross country practice was over. She'd come up drenched in sweat from her run and say, okay, give me math problems. Give me math problems. I, I need to learn this. I need to get better. And throughout the course of the year, she had her ups and downs. There were a couple of times where she was like, I'm not sure if, if, if I should have done this. And I would always say to her, I'm like, that's ridiculous. Of course you should. You can't see it, but I can see where you started and I see where you are today. And you have made such great progress. And Katie went on and and and, and did well and, and got credit in the course. And we stayed in touch for a year or two as, as we do, and, you know, but lost contact. And I heard from her probably five years later. She emailed me and reached out and said, I'm now finishing up my doctorate at University of California. And I'm, I'm doing it in a STEM field. I'm doing it in biology. And you may be surprised. Last time we talked, I was an art major. Sorry, Tom, but I was an art major. And it was because of the work that we did together. Like, you gave me the confidence that I could be successful. And I said, no, Katie, you, you did it all yourself. I just provided you an atmosphere where you could grow. And I, I remember that for my entire career. That was 27 years ago. And I still get goosebumps thinking about Katie and, and what she was able to do. That is awesome. Thank you. Anyone else? Melissa Collins, that one student that changed me was early in my career, 2007. I'm going to call him L. And um, L was very busy. He had a lot of social and emotional issues, right? That kind that always make you question yourself as a teacher, how to deal with that uh, disruptive behavior. So there was this competition because I was active in the union uh, for MEA, Memphis Educational Association, my favorite educator competition. And so I told all the kids that they were going to answer this competition and they could write about whoever they wanted to. Well, L, he would not write. I don't want to write a paper. I say, this is not an option. I'm being a warm demander. This is not an option. You have to write about someone. So, no, he started slamming his desk. I said, get over here, and you're going to write this paper. He's like, okay. So I have to calm him down. And I said, who is your favorite educator? He said, you. I said, oh, no. <laughs> and so he wrote the paper. He talked about how I challenged him and how I loved him. And I said, oh, he gets it, even though I thought that he didn't. And so I ended up getting a phone call. And they said, uh, Melissa, this is MEA, and you have a winner from your class. And I said, who? It was L. Wow. And I yelled, and I said, come over here. You won this competition. And so we end up getting recognized at the board meeting. And I told him to get sharp, let everybody know who he was. But he was not supposed to walk up behind me. I was. So they called me up and guess who walks behind me and everybody clapping and cheering and it's L with his sharp suit on. And, and, and I love him still today. And what that taught me is that when you think that you're not getting to a child because they have so many emotional issues that you actually are. And we talked about this earlier, connections and relationships are very important. And you have to be a champion for all children. And L, if he's listening, he's always asking for a cash app. <laughs> I said my cash app. And I do. 
And that's what we do as teachers. We continue to love them. And when they leave our classrooms, we continue to be a champion for them throughout their entire lives. So that really changed me early on in my career. And whenever I get someone like Elle, I just love them even harder. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Thank you. So on the topic of connections, I'll ask this question. What is your best strategy to help you connect with the student in your classroom who's the most reluctant to connect? I think I'll, I'll jump in here. This is Tom. Uh, and I'm going to relate this to I've also been a coach for uh, 38 years. And um, I think persistence is kind of the key, right? So that they know that you're not going to give up on them. And I'll uh, share a story. I had a, a one player, and this is probably going back about 10 years now. He was one of those kids who had one foot in a good place and one foot in a bad place. And he just was a kid that would make bad decisions. Like he would, he'd get caught smoking at homecoming on the edge of the school property. It's like, dude, what are you thinking? You know, but you knew he was a good kid. He was a smart kid. He was, you know, and and then he want to kick him off the team. Like, no, don't kick him off the team. Let's, you know, spend him for a couple of days. And you realize the influence you have. And, and you know, after he was done on my team, finished, you know, at school and on my team, he reached out and he said, Coach, you're the you're the one person that you're the one person that never gave up on me. Mm -hmm. And you're such an example to me. And I think it's those type of interactions that sustain you. Yes. And I wasn't being any more than just who I, who, you know, and who we are with kids, right? right? Mm -hmm. Some people just want to, oh, let's cut them off. They're bad, you know, whatever. No, there's um, a lot of good in these kids. And we, I just uh, was texting with him uh, last week. So we still keep in touch and I check in on him and make sure he's making good decisions. But uh, um, I think it's that persistence so they know that you're going to be there no matter what. Wonderful. Uh, this is Donna, and I taught uh, high school students. So on the first day of school, I always did a type of an inventory where I asked key questions uh, about their likes, about their activities, about their learning styles, about their favorite classes, just things to try to understand their interests and their passions. So I would take those and really, um, that's how I got to know them first, was I would read those over and over and over again and then spending time like we give started out where after a while after i knew my students i would say you can ask one question you can ask me one question and so they came up with some really funny questions but they were personal questions and then i would say okay now i have to ask you a question and um so learning and giving that back and forth and just spending time talking to them. And then after I saw their interests, I would always make sure if they were involved in an activity that I would go to one thing that they were involved in. Or I would uh, try to cater some type of lesson to their strengths and their passions. So that really worked to make connections with all different you know, types of students. Great ideas. All right, next question then. How do you practice self-care? In order to stay in education for the long term, you have to take care of yourself. And we know teaching is exhausting. What advice, what strategies do you have for self-care? 
Chrissy, this is Drew Bider from Buffalo. And first of all, we're all bad at it. You know, we're, we're in an industry uh, that has the worst, near to the worst work-life balance of any profession. Uh, I'll, you know, of course, toss the military and our law enforcement officials in, in front of us. But, they're, you know, we're asked to do more with our day. And, of course, we're, you know, we, we pack a 12-month year into 10 months. It's not like we have summers off. But that those 12 months are compacted. So with that in mind, you know, your, your question is, is, I think, at the heart of uh, the biggest problem in education and that, you know, we ask kids and ourselves to start at 715 and, you know, be, be thinking clearly. And I think one of the big takeaways that at least I have from COVID, and I know I'm not alone, is that generally speaking, we ended our Zoom day by lunchtime. And then in the afternoon, we had time for outreach for students and parents and to communicate with our colleagues. And for your audience here, who are future teachers and you know teachers that are early on in their careers, and it, this isn't gonna happen overnight, but for us to restructure the school day, I think is just imperative um, because we're on an industrial schedule. It's not teacher friendly, um, and which means it's not student friendly. I wouldn't wanna be taught and have nine different teachers per day on a bell schedule that's dated back to 1910. Now, with that said, next year, I'm going to try to schedule exercise like the way I would schedule a Zoom meeting and ask me in a year from now how that goes. But I, I, I've been trying this now for 26 years and, you know, I, self-care I, is very elusive for me personally. I appreciate your honesty. This is Melissa. I'm going to say this. First, we're in a job where we clock in and we don't clock out. I mean, they don't even ask me to clock out. They tell me to clock in, right? And so my advice would be to teachers is to clock out. The work that you have there today will be the work that you have tomorrow. And so sometimes I just get up and I I leave and I go out with friends. Sometimes I don't even go out with teacher friends because they want to talk about teacher stuff. (laughs) And I don't want to hear it sometimes. I just want to hear a healthy conversation about how are we taking care of ourselves? Uh, what can we do for fun? So my self-care is going to a restaurant. I like fine dining or I like a hole in the wall. No in-between for me, really. But uh, I like to do that uh, sometimes and just have fun. And I know teachers, we very seldomly complain. And so it's very important to sometimes also check on your colleagues and ask them, how they're doing and what they need. And so sometime, even when we think about self-care, we need to think about how we can care for each other, especially in this profession. And I often joke, thank God for the mask (laughs) because we wear them and the principal comes in and they like, you need to do this. And I'm like, and I'm like, thank God for the mask on today. (laughs) So uh, just always remember to take care of yourself Uh, do things that make you happy uh, because we need you healthy and to stay in the profession and to join the profession. Join us. This is Jamil chiming in on this and, you know, Drew and Melissa have given fantastic advice. But one thing in in my personal career that helped me a lot is you need a circle of support. And, you know, Melissa says, sometimes I don't want to hang out with my teacher friends. There's a lot, there's a lot of validity that just to, to leave it behind for a little while. But in my particular case, my circle of support, my first five, 10 years 
were the veteran teachers who were at my building because I was I was a I was a new hire and I was the first new hire I think in like seven years in my building. So the group of people that I joined were all together for a very long time, and they really took very 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 good care of me to the point where you know some of the teachers I I, I got close to that year are my very best friends and and actually I consider them my family. You know, I've watched their children grow up. I've been a part of their lives. And they know what you're going through. They understand what it's like to be a teacher. A lot of people who are not in education wouldn't understand some of the things that Drew and Melissa just pointed out. They, they, they don't understand how, yeah, I, I love to say, you clock in, but you never, ever clock out. And for me, having other people that I've worked with, who'd been together, who could mentor me through that, that really, really was very valuable to me in being my career. And Jamil, if I could, I, you know, Chrissy, I think another factor that really interferes with our self-care is our digital world. Mm-hmm. Now, on one level, yesterday we toured the, the one-room schoolhouse on your beautiful campus. And, you know, our teacher, forefathers and foremothers had to light fires. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to complain too much here because historically it's nothing. But by the same token, the 40-minute planning period that was instituted in 1970, now you need one of those for to reload your your lessons, mm-hmm. but you also need one to respond to parents. And in Zoom, we want you know we found we we're pleading with parents to communicate with us. One thing that I'm annoyed about is when my colleagues and myself will complain when parents communicate with us, mm-hmm. but that's what we want. So in order to have our self care, you know, the profession needs to expand where you almost need two planning periods a day mm-hmm. to account for that digital footprint and quick response times. Allowing and recognizing the complexity of the things that you need to do when the students aren't in the classroom. Exactly. And of course, you know, we're not typing on typewriters and things that, you know, our ancestor teachers had to do that took away their time. But I think that the system hasn't caught up to that digital uh, need that we have. Hey, Christy, this is Donna. I do want to add that I do think that we need to have some type of exercise. And I do think that we need to take care of ourselves in the way that we need. But I also think we need to, as a teacher, I don't know about the other ones, but I'm sure they're in the same pattern. They have the same problem is shutting your mind down. Yeah, It's just constantly going because, I mean, you're just trying to find new solutions. You're trying to help this, this student. You're trying to solve problems constantly. You're either asking questions or trying to solve problems 24-7. So there has to be a way that you can quiet your mind. And whatever works for you as an individual to just shut your mind down, take some even 15, 20 minutes, just quiet your mind and recharge. Kind of like turning your phone off, recharge or your computer, you know, it's your mind. And then the other way that I really learned to recharge myself was putting my passion into my curriculum. Mm-hmm. And that to me is very energizing. If I can pull my students along and we're doing something together, we've connected on something that we all love. And that is energizing. It's not teaching, it's fun. It's a very good point. And this is Tom again. And I don't know if any of you have heard of this practice, but it's called wine. It comes in a bottle. <laughs> um, <laughs> But seriously, wow. <laughs> they wind down. Wind think, down those are vitamins. Those oh, are middle school but, teacher vitamins. But, you know. But seriously, I think it's important to laugh. Yes. Right. I think what teachers 
have to realize is that taking that time for yourself makes you a better teacher. Yes. Like staying there and grading 20 more things isn't going to make you a better teacher, right? But taking the time that night to go home, you know, let go a little bit and do something, whether it's exercise or my own creative practice, something like that. Um, but you really have to, and I think you mentioned this a little bit, like you have to schedule it in your life. You've got to make sure, just like the other important things in your life that are on your schedule, you've got to schedule it. I, I agree. This is Melissa thinking about some and everybody talking. And when I first started teaching, because I did want to be, I didn't want to fail. So I wanted to be successful. And so I gave a lot of time up to the school, a lot. Mm -hmm. And I had a son. And uh, and often, sometimes I wonder, you know, did I give him enough time? Because sometimes you have to make that balance and it can be quite difficult. And as teachers, we do have to put some things in perspective because life continues to go on. And so now I try to make time for my family and friends. I still love my teachers, but I was always around them, my mentors, everything, school activities. And I still do that because I love it. As Donna mentioned, we do, teacher leaders do what they're passionate about and that passion bring us back, bring us purpose and hope for a brighter future for our students. And so often you, you just have to wind down and don't lose yourself in the process, but look at those things that you savor in the classroom. And so I do, I have this curriculum, it's a blueprint, but I do what I enjoy. I like my kids putting on lab coats. And when I saw how well it was working with my second grade students, and then I called in a medical doctor to be my mentor. I said, look, I want them to have a white coat ceremony. I want to start this future leaders of STEM for the entire school. And she was like, what you want it to look like? I said, I want it to look like your white coat ceremony. I want the old, <laughs> I want the doctors to come in. So I was able to do that. And so what I realized, not only do we dream for ourselves, but there are so many other people that help us dream. Just being here in Emporia and, and Curl, her her vision and seeing it, like I, you, you sometimes you just don't know what could happen when you see things. And so I just want teachers, whoever hearing us, just continue to dream big. Sometimes be okay with thinking about things outside the curriculum and thinking about what makes your heart happy and fulfilled and being that teacher you wish you had or being your favorite teacher because we all have a favorite teacher and it was something they said or did. And I often joke with my students, I say, you're going home tired today not me. <laughs> and so I, I do a lot of things that make sure that there uh, is hands application, things that they can do in Oracle, getting them to have a platform. And so student-led is the best-led classroom you can have, and you just be the facilitator. And you won't go home just as tired. <laughs> they will, and you can tell, because they fall asleep sometime in class, right? So, <laughs> yes. Wonderful. You'd mentioned student-centered classroom, and that's a good segue to another question. In a student-centered classroom, sometimes people can observe that it's a little bit more chaotic than a teacher-led classroom. 
So do you have a go-to classroom management strategy that works well for you that you would share? I have a lot, especially working in an urban uh, setting. So what I do, I like to do a lot of singing and I can't sing and sometimes it's off key, but I, I, I say like three words, we're on the move. And the kids say, we all move, ready to learn. And they move. So that's a good classroom management. Or if I say it's science time. And so they know we sing a song. If you can sing it, you can do it. And so just those little things help with classroom management. Routines and procedures are very important. You want to have a welcoming and affirming classroom. So you want kids to know it's okay to make mistakes. Mistakes are just something written in pencil. And just talking them through it. And then sometimes seeing how their day is going. So I like having a 30-second conversation with my students. And I, when they walk in, I say, you know, how are you feeling? And so if some of them feeling sad, I say, come here. You know, why are you sad? And so you can hear someone say, my house caught on fire or something happened in tragedy in their lives and you're able to learn and support them during the day. So when they're not having a good day, you understand why they reacted a certain way and how to be calming and nurturing to them. And so I just do a lot of singing, chanting. I work with uh, black and brown babies. So I think about their identity and how I can bring things into them to uh, represent them because representation matters. And so sometimes you just need to survey the students and the parents to see who they are and incorporate those names. And once students and parents start seeing you do just a little bit extra to know who they are and to service their kids, you will have a classroom that runs like a well or machine. And I'm not gonna say it's easy, it's hard, but you gotta remember to teach boldly, teach boldly for those babies in your community. Anyone else want to share a, a go-to classroom management strategy? This is Jamil again. And I think for me, and I'm at the high school level, but classroom management to me is about building good relationships. Um, if I've got a student that I can connect with, find out something about them, I think, I think Donna was talking about that earlier, and find a way to connect with them, make them feel included, I think my classroom runs much, much, much smoother when I'm able to do that. So... Early in the year, I like to find out as much as I can about my students. If, if I've got a student that I think is maybe needing a little more attention, you know, I'll, I'll talk to them outside of class. I'll go hunt them down in the hallway one day and, and just talk to them, ask them to come after school. Um, a lot of students will, will start to shut down if they're feeling unsuccessful. So if I can get them a little bit of extra help and making them feel good about where they're coming from. Uh, if we work on something one night after school, I make sure the next day I do that exact same kind of thing the next day in class so that they can have a spotlight on them and feel good about what we're doing. I think that's a big part of, of what I'm doing at, at my level. And uh, this is Tom again, and I was thinking along the same lines you were with the, well, with the little ones, is like as you go through the year and they'll say, oh, you know, today is our Hanukkah, we're celebrating Hanukkah right now. So letting them then explain to you how they celebrate Hanukkah or whatever the holiday or the family event might be. Mm -hmm. or we went to a family wedding, where did you go? Letting them know that their life is important and you're interested in it is creating those relationships, even with the little ones, so mm -hmm. that they 
I think, value you because you're valuing them. All right. What was the best advice you received from a mentor? That's a good question. Uh, yeah. 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 A lot of advice. Yeah. Uh -huh. I think that this is Donna. It sounds simple, but the best advice I received was to be myself. And to there's no perfect way to teach. There's no perfect way to connect. But I have to be perfectly me. I try to be someone else and copycat. I mean, I can learn from others, but I need to uh, express that and do it as as me. And so they just said, be yourself. And I am myself. My kids will, my students will tell you that at the end of the year, they don't just feel like I was a teacher. They feel like they know me personally in a way because I was me. Uh, Krista, that's that's great advice. Uh, I, I think about one of my my close friends, one of the people who, who was very experienced when I started, and we were in a conversation one day, and I'll, I'll share too. One kind of funny. He said one thing. Uh, he was, you know, I, I was starting. I think I was twenty three years old when I started. He was almost fifty, and I was talking about how it's kind of I, it's kind of strange to me because you're you're old enough to be my, my my father. And he said, well, one thing I learned about teaching is you never get older while you teach. You always feel like you're still 23 because every year your students are the same age and they never change ages. So it tricks you into thinking that you're still the same age. And that's one, one thing he told me. But, but along the lines of what Donna said, we were having a conversation and I was having some great relationship with most of the students in my class. But there's one or two students that just wasn't clicking. And they said to me, that's fine because we're a faculty, we work together and you're going to reach some students. And you're not going to reach some students as well. And that's okay because that's why you get the other people on your faculty. Your students are going to find one, maybe two or more faculty members that they can confide in, that they can trust in. And if you're doing it for a handful of students and I'm doing it for a handful of students, then they're all going to have someone that they can trust. And that's where we have to work together to make sure that as a group, our students have an adult in their life where they can feel comfortable with. And that's always resonated with me because it, it made me, it really follows along the lines of Don. Like my personality is not for every student I teach. Uh, I'm not going to tell you that every student I've ever had loves me. I'm far from it. But there are some that gravitate towards, towards the way I teach. And now I'm, 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 I'm wise enough to know, I guess, that it's okay if I'm not that teacher for everyone. Because I can go down the hall and I'm like, oh, well, this person's that person for that student. And I know this person has that one. So just knowing that you're working together to make sure that these kids are taken care of. I think it's a big, big piece of, of uh, advice that meant a lot to me early on. Christy, this is Drew from Buffalo again. In my first job in 1996, there was this older teacher who would take me out for planning periods when I needed the time the most. And he would uh, toss out a, a pack of cigarettes and we would smoke and drive around the community with no one knowing. He called me grasshopper after the old Kung Fu show, if you remember that. And he said, Grasshopper, how are you connecting things to the world today? Because especially with history, you know, we can get caught up in teaching like we were taught and making sure that they're good at jeopardy. But especially in the history classroom, but it goes for all our disciplines, unless we're connecting knowledge with the present, it's not really knowledge, it's trivia. And he pushed me to think about how I could take it even further. And, you know, if I'm teaching about the invasion of you know, uh, Europe by the Nazis in 1939, then I should be teaching about Ukraine. And then I need to connect it not to their heads, but their hearts, 
and then by personalizing it and then ultimately with their hands by doing something and not admiring the problem. So those little cigarette breaks, you know, as much as they stressed me out at the time by taking me out of you know, what I thought was valuable planning time, really amplify what everybody else has been saying about the panel that we really profit from the one-on-one -on -one time with our colleagues. Um, this is Melissa. Um, my first mentor was not my mentor. She was assigned to me on paper, uh, but we didn't have anything in common. I want to say it first. So I had to find my perfect match, the mentor that would help me to be successful in my career. And the first thing she didn't tell me, but she showed me that she was great. I could see her culture and climate. I could see how her children were successful. And that's why I ended up selecting her, Shirley Eccles, as my perfect match. And the advice that she had given me is don't give up on any child. Push, no matter how difficult it can be. And I'm going to say this to our viewers or listeners, mentorship never ends. <laughs> I've had so many mentors in my career and even today. And so Frances Jones, definitely like a mother figure. And what I really liked about her and the advice that she had given, because as I became to soar as a teacher leader and I would get these emails or different opportunities and I would always question, do they want me? And she said, never question it you are the one that they were looking for. Um, this is Tom again. Probably the best advice I, I got was not spoken to me. It was an example, mm -hmm. and it comes from my mom. And the example was whether it's an interaction with a person, uh, whether it's your participation in an organization, uh, whatever it is, leave it better than you found it, than it mm -hmm. came to you. So something you can do to improve that relationship. And the same thing applies in education. Mm -hmm. You might not reach every child. You might not be that perfect connection, but you can be, the, be an example, right? Mm -hmm. Something that you leave behind with them. And I just thought that was so powerful. And she never said it. And uh, it's really guided me in, in, you know, the organizations I've been a part of and the events I've had and um, the students I've taught and just try to leave everything just a, bit, just a little bit better. You know, then, then it came to you, came into your life, and you contributed. Thank you so much for the good advice. I appreciate you passing that on. So, what is one item in your classroom that you can't live without? Outside of a coffee pot. That's my morning. The Keurig does wonders. <laughs> That's a tough question. Mm -hmm. There's so many items that I can't live without. There's a picture of uh, a Holocaust survivor as a 13-year-old that was in my classroom a lot. And I keep that picture next to my desk as a reminder that for as challenging as our jobs are, things can be a lot, lot more challenging in the world. And it's a sobering and inspiring, you know, moment every day when I look at Joe's picture and he's passed on. But, you know, when I look at his situation, it's, it's an item that really gives me some fuel to get through the day at certain points. And I can hear his voice in my head. And, and I'm sure we all have momentos like that from different people and former students that have been in our lives that, you know, 
uh, remind us that what we do matters, you know? Very true. Okay, this is Melissa. And it's this one item that I would never take out of my classroom. And it's a black angel that was given to me by my grandmother that is no longer here. And teaching, we give ourselves so unselfishly. And teaching, and Donna and I talked about this early, it's our calling. This is God's work. And so hidden behind all these other figurines are, is this, which I had two black angels that she ended up giving me. And they're constantly watching over my students and myself. And it reminds me every day to keep the faith. But when you have faith, you have to put in the work. This is Donna. I'm not sure. I, I think it's changed throughout my career. Uh, but for the last 20 years, it has uh, been something that I was given when I went to Africa. And I hang it on the wall. And it's just a little sort of decorative ornament that someone gave me because we had worked in their village. And the reason I like it is because it always elicits some type of conversation. And um, I like to teach my class that students learn the fundamentals, but they apply them to real world problems and empower them um, to make a difference in the world. And so it's always, it's been a, for about the last 20 years, a connection to um, my students and I, as far as our projects that we've done in Africa, and not just in Africa, but once we start talking about what we've done, it piggybacks on some other projects that are local, like, well, if we can do that, can we do this? Can we do that? Can we learn how to do this? How can we make a difference here? So to me, it's something that starts a conversation and uh, has brought just, you know, opportunities that I never thought I would see and brings out that part of students that they just want to make a difference in life. Hi, Christy, it's Jamil again. You know, listening to everyone give their answers gave me some time to really give some thought to this. And one of my things I have in my classroom that, that I like to have there a lot is up on, on my sideboard, I have a picture of my calculus teacher from high school, Mr. Daigle. And above it, it says, this is your grand teacher. And I want all my students to know who their grand teacher is. And as I thought more and more about it, when I was talking, I have a lot of pictures hung up around my room. And in my, in my old classroom, where I had more space and more flexibility, I had a picture of each of my calculus classes from every year I ever taught, and I put them up. And I've got pictures of my family, and every single picture I hang up has some deep connection to me. And even though I teach math, I, I love sharing the history of these items with my students. You know, Mr. Daigle and how he, he taught me and got me interested in math. Or, you know, my Larry Bird poster and how I think and say hard work is what gets us to where we want to be. It's not talent alone. It's just having the determination and the hard work. And the connections, of course, to the, my family pictures and things like this. So I, I think it's the, that collection of items, those pictures that every day remind me that, you know, this, I talked about earlier, this, this is my support network. If it's, if it's my friends, my family, or if it's my students, this is who I'm here to serve and to try to help. And that gives me the, you know, the, the inspiration every, every day. 
Well, I will tell you, I was thinking you were going to say things like Chromebooks or dry erase markers or projector. No, no, you guys went way better because you're in talking about the parts that help you connect with students. And it comes back to your classroom management strategies. We're all about relationships and connections. So I love that. Thank you. So that's really the main questions that I had for you today. I would like to give you an opportunity. If there's any other advice that you would like to share or something you didn't have a chance to mention earlier that you think our listeners would uh, be interested in, maybe give a chance for each one of you to share something extra for the group. I'll start since I had so much time thinking the last question. Um, <laughs> one thing that I always tell all the student teachers or young teachers that I'm working with is you've got to let your passion shine through. Uh, Donna talked about that earlier. And I say, when you think about your passion, like when I started teaching, my passion was mathematics. I, I love math and I have a passion for math and I want that to, to shine through what I do. But then I realized as I, I taught for a while, my passion started out being mathematics, but it became my students and helping them be successful. So the best teachers I think are passionate about something, either their subject, or, or their students, but the world's best teachers are passionate about both. And they use that passion to motivate. And when you love your, when you love your subject, it shows. And when you love your students, it shows. And together that, that you know, I, see, I think the common theme today has been relationships in a lot of ways. That, that's where those relationships start and that's where they build and that's where they grow. And you know, the, the, the success that I may have been able to find is to get to the National Teacher Hall of Fame, it's only because I have Hall of Fame students throughout my career. You know, the, the students I taught at East Bridgewater in my classes have been Hall of Fame students for me and kept me motivated. So that, that would be the advice I would give is just to be passionate and don't be afraid to let that show. But Jamel, I think you looked at them as Hall of Fame students and they became Hall of Fame students, right? <laughs> I think, I, I think yeah. it's a team. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think it goes both yeah. ways. Was, yeah. Because students and teachers working together can accomplish anything. Yeah. I'll add on that to that people will ask you, so what do you teach? And I always say, you know, because I try to be funny, I say, I teach students. And I use art as a way to try to connect to my students. And so just finding that, again, back that connection to students, whatever your passion is, but making sure you have that connection, we'll see if you don't ever find that, teaching is gonna be a tough road for you to help. This is Donna. One of the things I did midway through my career was ask my students to um, critique me. And that was really hard uh, because it's high school students and sometimes they aren't really good at critiquing. Uh, but the feedback that I got from them revolutionized my teaching because I realized, you know, they liked me, they thought the content was good. But because I was teaching environmental science, a lot of them were, I'm so depressed. One girl said, I'm not having any children because I'm not gonna bring them into the world because I, they're gonna ruin mother earth, you know? And I was like, this is not what I wanna hear. So looking through it, I realized I need to change my teaching strategy and empower them and let them realize, yes, these are problems, but you can help to solve them. Even right now, you don't have to wait until you get your degree. Let's start solving them now. And so we work together 
to solve local and state and even some international problems. And it it was very difficult for me to, it's hard to let teenagers critique you, but it was so valuable. And so I'm really thankful for, that they were honest. And um, I'm thankful that I was able to readjust because I feel like it changed my entire teaching career. This is Melissa. I would say, listen to the voices of your students and families. That home and school connection are very important. And if you are a new teacher entering the profession, don't give up. Don't give up even on your rough days. Remember that there are better days ahead and our children need you. I think it's the best way to end this conversation. So anything else I add would be redundant. So thank you, Melissa, that was perfect. All right, well, we will call that a wrap. I wanna thank you so much for your time. I know I've really enjoyed listening to the wisdom and advice from these experienced teachers. If you have also, then I encourage you to keep an eye out for an upcoming episode when we will be interviewing the class of 22 teacher inductees into the National Teacher Hall of Fame. Thanks for listening. We hope that you have enjoyed the podcast and will share with other educators about our program. You can subscribe on any of your favorite podcast platforms. If you want to write to us, our email address is hwtt at emporia.edu. If you want to follow us on Twitter, we're at hwtt underscore ESU. And you can find us on Facebook. Just search for How We Teach This. This episode was produced by Christy Dugan. And I'd like to recognize Dr. Zenny Colorado-Resa and Terry Kaiser for their support. I'm Christy Dugan, and you've been listening to How We Teach This.